Chapter One of Amusement Only. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Noel Badrian. Amusement Only by Richard Marsh. The Lost Duchess. Chapter One. The Duchess is Lost. Has the Duchess returned? Knowles came further into the room. He had a letter on a salver. When the Duke had taken it, Knowles still lingered. The Duke glanced at him. Is an answer required? No, Your Grace. Still Knowles lingered. Something a little singular has happened. The carriage has returned without the Duchess, and the men say that they thought Her Grace was in it. What do you mean? I hardly understand it myself, Your Grace. Perhaps you would like to see Barnes. Barnes was the coachman. Send him up. When Knowles had gone, and he was alone, his grace showed signs of being slightly annoyed. He looked at his watch. I told her she'd better be in by four. She says that she's not feeling well, and yet one would think that she was not aware of the fatigue entailed in having the prince to dinner, and a mob of people to follow. I particularly wished her to lie down for a couple of hours. Knowles ushered in not only Barnes, the coachman, but Moisey, the footman, too. Both these persons seemed to be ill at ease. The Duke glanced at them sharply. In his voice there was a suggestion of impatience. "'What's the matter?' Barnes explained as best he could. Uh, "'If you please, Your Grace, we waited for the Duchess outside Kane and Wilson's, the drapers. The Duchess came out, got into the carriage, and Moisey shut the door, and Her Grace said home. And yet when we got home, she wasn't there.' "'She wasn't where? Her Grace wasn't in the carriage, Your Grace.' "'What on earth do you mean?' Her Grace did get into the carriage. You shut the door, didn't you? Barnes turned to Moisey. Moisey brought his hand up to his brow in a sort of military salute. He had been a soldier in the regiment in which, once upon a time, the Duke had been a subaltern. She did. The Duchess came out of the shop. She seemed rather in a hurry, I thought. She got into the carriage and she said, Home, Moisey. I shut the door, and Barnes drove straight home. We never stopped anywhere and we never noticed nothing happen on the way and yet when we got home the carriage was empty the duke stared do you mean to tell me that the duchess got off the carriage while you were driving full pelt through the streets without saying anything to you and without you noticing it the carriage was empty when we got home your grace was either of the doors open no your grace you fellows have been up to some infernal mischief you have made a mess of it you never picked up the Duchess, and you're trying to palm this tale off on me to save yourselves. Barnes was moved to adjuration. I'll take my Bible oath, Your Grace, that the Duchess got into the carriage outside Kane and Wilson's. Moisey seconded his colleague. I will swear to that, Your Grace. She got into the carriage, and I shut the door, and she said, Home, Moisey. The Duke looked as if he didn't know what to make of the story and its tellers. What carriage did you have? Her Grace's broom, Your Grace, Knowles interposed. The broom was ordered because I understood that the Duchess was not feeling very well, and there's rather a high wind, Your Grace. The Duke snapped at him. What has that got to do with it? Are you suggesting that the Duchess was more likely to jump out of a broom while it was dashing through the streets than out of any other kind of vehicle? The Duke's glance fell on the letter which Knowles had brought him when he first had entered. He had placed it on his writing table. Now he took it up. It was addressed to His Grace, the Duke of Datchet. Private. Very pressing. 
The name was written in a fine, clear, almost feminine hand. The words in the left-hand corner of the envelope were written in a different hand. They were large and bold, almost as though they had been painted with the end of the penholder, instead of being written with the pen. The envelope itself was of an unusual size, and bulged out as though it contained something else besides a letter. The Duke tore the envelope open. As he did so, something fell out of it onto the writing-table. It looked as though it was a lock of a woman's hair. As he glanced at it, the Duke seemed to be a trifle startled. The Duke read the letter. Your Grace will be so good as to bring five hundred pounds in gold to the Piccadilly end of the Burlington Arcade within an hour of the receipt of this. The Duchess of Datchet has been kidnapped. An imitation Duchess got into the carriage, which was waiting outside Kane and Wilson's, and she alighted on the road. Unless your Grace does as you are requested, the Duchess of Datchet's left hand, little finger, will be at once cut off and sent home in time to receive the Prince to dinner. Other portions of Her Grace will follow. A lock of Her Grace's hair is enclosed with this as an earnest of our good intentions. Before 5.30 p.m., Your Grace is requested to be at the Piccadilly end of the Burlington Arcade with five hundred pounds in gold. You will there be accosted by an individual in a white top hat and with a gardenia in his buttonhole. You will be entirely at liberty to give him into custody or to have him followed by the police in which case the duchess's left arm cut off at the shoulder will be sent home for dinner not to mention other extremely possible contingencies but you are advised to give the individual in question the five hundred pounds in gold because in that case the duchess herself will be home in time to receive the prince to dinner and with one of the best stories with which to entertain your distinguished guests they ever heard remember not later than five-thirty, unless you wish to receive Her Grace's little finger. The Duke stared at this amazing epistle when he had read it, as though he had found it difficult to believe the evidence of his eyes. He was not a demonstrative person as a rule, but this little communication astonished even him. He read it again, then his hands dropped to his sides, and he swore. He took up the lock of hair which had fallen out of the envelope. Was it possible that it could be his wife's? the duchess was it possible that the duchess of datchet could be kidnapped in broad daylight in the heart of london and be sent home as it were in pieces had sacrilegious hands already been playing pranks with that great lady's hair certainly that hair was so like her hair that the mere resemblance made his grace's blood run cold he turned on messrs barnes and moisey as though he would have liked to rend them you scoundrels he moved forward as though the intention had entered his ducal heart to knock his servants down. But if that were so, he did not act quite up to his intention. Instead, he stretched out his arm, pointing at them as if he were an accusing spirit. Will you swear that it was the Duchess who got into the carriage outside Kane and Wilson's? Barnes began to stammer. I, uh, I'll swear, Your Grace, that I, uh, I thought. The Duke stormed an interruption. I don't ask what you thought. I asked you, will you swear it? The Duke's anger was more than Barnes could face. He was silent. Moisey showed a larger courage. Uh, could have sworn that it was at the time, Your Grace, but now it seems to me that it's a rummy go. A rummy go? 
the peculiarity of the phrase did not seem to strike the duke just then at least he echoed it as if it didn't you call it a rummy go do you know that i am told in this letter that the woman who had entered the carriage was not the duchess what you were thinking about or what case you will be able to make out for yourselves you know better than i but i can tell you this that in an hour you will leave my service and you may esteem yourselves fortunate if to-night you are not both of you sleeping in jail knowles take these men to a room and lock them in and set someone to see that they don't get out of it and come back at once you understand at once to me knowles did not give messrs barnes and moisey a chance to offer a remonstrance even if they had been disposed to do so he escorted them out of the room with a dexterity and a celerity which did him credit and in a remarkably short space of time he returned to the ducal presence he was the duke's own servant his own particular man he was a little older than the duke and he had been his servant almost ever since the duke had been old enough to have a servant of his very own probably james knowles knew more than any living creature of the duke's secret history as they call it in the chronicle scandaloos of his little peculiarities of his strong points and his weak ones and in the possession of this knowledge he had borne himself in a manner which had caused the duke to come to look upon him as a man in whom he might have confidence that confidence which a penitent has in a confessor to look upon him as a trusted and a trustworthy friend when knowles reappeared the duke handed him the curious epistle with which he had been favoured read that and tell me what you think of it knowles read it his countenance was even more of a mask than the duke's he evinced no sign of astonishment i am inclined your grace to think that it's a hoax a hoax i don't know what you call a hoax that is not a hoax the duke held out the lock of hair which had fallen from the envelope i have compared it with the hair in my locket and it is the duchess's hair may i look at it the duke handed it to knowles knowles examined it closely it resembles her grace's hair resembles it is her hair knowles still continued to reflect he offered a suggestion shall i send for the police the police what's the good of sending for the police if what the letter says is true by the time i have succeeded in making a thick-skulled constable understand what has happened the duchess will be will be mutilated the duke turned away as if the thought were frightful as indeed it was is that all you can suggest unless your grace proposes taking the five hundred pounds one might almost have suspected that the words were spoken in irony but before he could answer another servant answered who also brought in a letter for the duke when his grace's glance fell upon it he uttered an exclamation the writing on the envelope was the same writing that had been on the envelope which had contained the very singular communication like it in all respects down to the broomstick end thickness of the private and very pressing in the corner who brought this stormed the duke the servant appeared to be a little startled by the violence of his grace's manner a lady or at least your grace she seemed to be a lady where is she she came in a hansom your grace she gave me that letter and said give that to the duke of datchet at once without a moment's delay then she got into the hansom again and drove away why didn't you stop her your grace 
the man seemed surprised, as though the idea of stopping chance visitors to the ducal mansion, V. et Amis had not, until that moment, entered into his philosophy. The duke continued to regard the man as if he could say a good deal if he chose. Then he pointed to the door. His lips said nothing, but his gesture much. The servant vanished. Another hoax? The duke said grimly as he tore the envelope open. This time the envelope contained a sheet of paper, and in the sheet of paper another envelope. The duke unfolded the sheet of paper. On it some words were written. These. The Duchess appears so particularly anxious to drop you a line that one really hasn't the heart to refuse her. Her Grace's communication, written amidst blinding tears, you will find enclosed with this. Knowles, said the Duke, in a voice which actually trembled, Knowles, hoax or no hoax, I will be even with the gentleman who wrote that. Handing the sheet of paper to Mr. Knowles, his grace turned his attention to the envelope which had been enclosed. It was a small, square envelope, of the finest quality, and it reeked with perfume. The Duke's countenance assumed an added frown. He had no fondness for envelopes which were scented. In the centre of the envelope were the words, To the Duke of Datchet, written in the big, bold, sprawling hand which he knew so well. Mabel's writing, he said to himself, as, with shaking fingers, he tore the envelope open. The sheet of paper which he took out was almost as stiff as cardboard. It, too, emitted what his grace deemed the nauseous odour of the perfumer's shop. On it was written this letter. My dear Hereward, for heaven's sakes do what these people require. I don't know what has happened or where I am, but I am nearly distracted. They have already cut off some of my hair, and they tell me that, if you don't let them have five hundred pounds in gold by half-past five, they will cut off my little finger, too. I would sooner die than lose my little finger, and I don't know what else besides. By the token which I send you, and which has never until now been off my breast, I conjure you to help me. Mabel. Hereward, help me. When he read that letter, the Duke turned white, very white, as white as the paper on which it was written. He passed the epistle on to Knowles. I suppose that also is a hoax. He spoke in a tone of voice which was unpleasantly cold, a coldness which Mr. Knowles was aware, from not inconsiderable experience, betokened that the Duke was white-hot within. Mr. Knowles's demeanour, however, betrayed no sign that he was aware of anything of the kind, he being conscious that there is a certain sort of knowledge which is apt, at times, to be dangerous to his possessor. He read the letter from beginning to end. It certainly does resemble Her Grace's writing. You think it does resemble it, do you? You think that there is a certain faint and distant similarity? The Duke asked these questions quietly, too quietly. Then all at once he thundered, which Mr. Knowles was quite prepared for. Why, you idiot, don't you know it is her writing? Mr. Knowles gave way another point. He was, constitutionally, too much of a diplomatist to concede more than a point at a time. So far as appearances go, I am bound to admit I think it possible that it is Her Grace's writing. Then the Duke let fly at him, at this perfectly innocent man, but of course Mr. Knowles was long since inured. Perhaps you would like me to send for an expert in writing, or perhaps you would prefer that I should send for half a dozen, 
and by the time they had sent in their reports and you had reported on their reports and they had reported on your report of their reports and some one or other of you had made up his mind the duchess would be dead yes sir and you have murdered her his grace hurled this frightful accusation at mr knowles as if mr knowles had been a criminal standing in the dock while the duke had been collecting and discharging his nice derangement of epithets his fingers had been examining the interior of the envelope which had held the letter which purported to be written by his wife when his fingers reappeared he was holding something between his first finger and his thumb he glanced at this himself then he held it out towards mr knowles again his voice was trembling if this letter is not from the duchess how how came that to be in the envelope mr knowles endeavoured to see what the duke was holding it was so minute an object that it was a little difficult to make out exactly what it was and the duke appeared to be unwilling to let it go so his grace explained that is the half of a sixpence which i gave to the duchess when i asked her to be my wife you see it is pierced i pierced that hole in it myself as the duchess says in this letter and as i have reason to know she has worn this broken sixpence from that hour to this if this letter is not hers how came this token in the envelope how came any one to know even that she carried it mr knowles was silent he still yielded to his constitutional disrelish to commit himself at last he asked what is it that your grace proposes to do the duke spoke with a bitterness which almost suggested a personal animosity towards the inoffensive mr knowles i propose with your permission to release the duchess from the custody of my estimable correspondent i propose always with your permission to comply with his modest request and to take him his five hundred pounds in gold he paused then continued in a tone which coming from him meant volumes afterwards i propose to cry quits with the concocter of this pretty little hoax even if it costs me every penny i possess he shall pay more for that five hundred pounds than he supposes End of chapter 1 of The Lost Duchess